Hub City, it's great to be with you, and uh, great to be with you, those that are here with us at 10 a.m., digitally gathering online. Say hey on the chat box, let us know who you're watching with, because we want to say hi, good morning. And if you're watching us another time later on on YouTube, hey, it's great to be with you as well. Don't forget to throw those questions in, because we want to talk about whatever I'm talking about today and the questions that stir within you, so post those questions. Now, we started this new series called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. I don't know about you, I like that math. That's really easy math. It's not calculus, it's not uh, long division, carry the one and all this. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it's the six-part series looking at the letter of Galatians written by the Apostle Paul to the early church. This simple equation shows us the simplicity of the gospel message. And we talked about gospel last week. And do you remember what gospel means? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Throw it in the chat real quick. You got about five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Gospel means good news. And specifically the good news about Jesus. And so when we say gospel, it is, it is good news. It is something really good to talk about. Because it's the good news of Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus is the one that loves us. He's the one that accepts us. He's the one that forgives us. He's the one that rescues us. Plus nothing, because we've done nothing. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We don't warrant it. We don't merit it. We don't buy it. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Eternity with him. uh, Freedom with him. Acceptance by him. uh, Unity within the body of Christ. All of these things that we're exploring. And it's the everything that we experience. Now, similar to the Galatian church, we as humans tend to want to add to this simple equation because we live in a plus world. Have you noticed a lot of companies lately have been coming out with plus products, right? And plus products, I mean like ESPN plus. ESPN articles aren't enough. We're going to add plus so that we can charge you more. Have you noticed that? Think of any other plus companies that you've come, you, you've come across lately. Google plus, Apple TV plus, Disney Plus, throw a plus in the chat box of some sort, right? What kind of additional features am I paying for? I I scroll through on an article and all of a sudden I get a paragraph. I want to keep reading, but I click to read more and plus comes up. Well, plus $4.99 and I can read this article for the rest of the month. Great. What article is worth $4.99, right? I don't want to do that. But how many of us in our plus world, again, keep naming all those plus companies. There's lots out there. But in our plus world, how many of us have done that to the gospel? We've got this basic gospel message. Jesus loves you, forgives you, died on the cross for you, he can get you into heaven, right? But then that's just the basic gospel package. I can upgrade you to the gospel plus package, plus good works, and that means God's going to love you more, plus all of this perfectionism and holy acts, and then that's going to get you a better spot in heaven, plus blank, right? Jesus plus blank, and all of a sudden, he's going to love me more, he's going to accept me, I'm going to have more power, more control, better health, more wealth, all of these things. It's our flawed thinking that adds to the gospel, creates these flawed equations, and that's what we're looking at each week. As we explore this letter, I think Paul kind of breaks out some of these equations that we've created over time. So we're going to expose those things. We're going to talk about those things. But at the same time, we're looking at the simplicity of the equation in in terms of everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And and there's so much more than just eternity locked into that everything. We're going to explain the different facets of what that means. Now, last week we talked about this gospel message and its simplicity. It's very simple and uncomplicated. 
We're going to continue on in Galatians 1 and looking at this good news of Jesus and how specifically this week we're going to talk about how that gospel changes us. It transforms us and including our lives, but also the writer, the author, Paul. His own story is changed because of the gospel. Galatians 1.10 is where we're going to start. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Because if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from anyone or any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. I think what Paul's saying right here is that he's presenting a gospel message that is very simple, but he's not doing it for his own personal gain, right? He's not one of these preachers that's just trying to say what you think he wants to say, and he's not trying to just tickle your ears with this nice God loves everybody type of message. He's not trying to get more views on YouTube or more likes on Facebook. He's not winning the popularity contest with this. He's saying, I'm not doing it for that kind of purpose. And in the face of criticism, he's very clear. I am sharing this strong, simplified message of the gospel, not for my own gain, but because it has radically changed my own life. And that's what he says. This gospel I preach is not something I made up or received from other people, but it's from direct revelation from Jesus. It's something that has transformed him and changed him. He's experienced it. It's not just head knowledge. And, and that's what I love here is Paul is not just trying to make the Galatian church smarter or more theologically savvy or better at debating their faith. He's saying, I've, I've experienced the gospel, and I want you to experience the gospel. I want you to experience the love of Jesus that can change your life. And that's the difference between knowledge and experience. Think of the difference here. Knowledge, I could have a knowledge of a location, right? The Grand Canyon. I've never been there. I've never experienced it. But I have a knowledge of it, generally. I know what it looks like, and I know it's a rocky terrain, and I know it's very large and expansive. I've read about it on Wikipedia. I've seen pictures of it. I've seen it in movies. I've heard people talk about it. I hear that the magnitude of it drops your jaw. You're just like, whoa, it's the Grand Canyon. Right? But I've never experienced that. So if I were to talk about it, it would just be very much a head knowledge thing. And I'd like, yeah, you should like the Grand Canyon because it's big and grand. But I think about a place where I've experienced that, where my jaws dropped, where my awe-inspiring, whoa, kind of magnitude type of feeling, where I've teared up. And don't laugh at me. A place that comes to mind is I can experience, I've experienced this, is standing at center field at T-Mobile Park. I know it seems silly. Usually my seats would be up in the 300 level getting a nosebleed and needing an oxygen tank. But the opportunity I had at a fan fest event to be at center field with my kids brought me to tears. April was laughing at me. This idea of like, what's wrong, honey? Right? And I'm playing catch with my kids in center field and I could feel the crunch of the grass under my sneakers. I could see the size of the stadium from a vantage point I had never imagined I would ever see. Playing catch in the same place that Ken Griffey Jr. played brought tears to my eyes. It, 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 it dropped my jaw. I was inspired. I was in awe. I didn't know what to say even. Because I had experienced it. So as silly as that sounds, man, it's something that's changed me. It's a memory that's imprinted on me. It's something that any baseball fan, I would want you to experience that. And that's what Paul's getting at, man. He's saying, 
This is more than a head knowledge about Jesus. This isn't a message I read about. This isn't a message that I created. It's not something that the apostles taught me. It's not something that's on Wikipedia that I just got you know, uh, all the updates on. No, this is something that's changed me, and I think it can change you. And he continues his story by giving us a glimpse into the past. In verse 13, he gives us that little glimpse. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is giving us a a, a picture of what he was like pre-Jesus. In fact, Paul before Jesus is actually named Saul. So anytime you read about Saul in the New Testament, that's who he is, right? It's this pre-Jesus guy, and, and he's living life to the extreme. Extremely good and extremely bad. What do I mean by extremely good? He studied the Torah. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He legalistically obeyed them and ritualistically upheld them and the traditions and adherence to the laws down to the nitty-gritty, and he knew it. He was passionate about it. He was zealous about it. He enforced it with other people. This is the way we need to live. He was good at being good. But at the same time, he was good at being bad. He lived extremely on the, on the bad side of things too because Saul, or later to be known as Paul, he hated Jesus. He was a contemporary at that time and he's hearing about this Jesus guy and then his followers start making a ruckus and everything that Jesus was about were things that conflicted with what Paul was striving for. Jesus held lax rules about the Sabbath. Jesus feasted with unclean sinners. Jesus called himself the Messiah and so Paul is hearing about this Jesus guy, and what does he want to do? We've got to purge this place. We've got to clean this place up. We've got to get rid of this Jesus guy, right? It's kind of like when you watch a documentary, and it stirs your insides, and you're just like, I have vigilantly got to change something. I vehemently must change everything about it, right? You watch a documentary on food, and no longer eating red meat. You, you watch a documentary on exercise. I'm signing up for a triathlon, right? I watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's about the seedy underbelly of social media, and watching that, man, it it stirred me. I was like, nope. And I deleted Facebook. I deleted Twitter. I deleted Instagram off my phones. Uh, I I set timers on my kids' apps. I I told April jokingly, I said, our kids aren't getting social media until they're 21. Like, this is just, this is what we're doing. We're purging our land of all this technology that wants to corrupt us. And, (laughs) And I think it's similar with Paul. He's hearing about this Jesus guy and saying, nope, we're not going there. We're getting this out of here. We're getting cleaned up. Right? And so he persecutes the church. He imprisons the church. He kills the church. Christians being falsely imprisoned and martyred and all of this stuff, and it's all at his direction. It poses this question How can a good man be so good at being good and so good at being bad at the same time? It's a paradox. It's the Paul paradox. How can one man be so good at being good and so good at being bad at the same time? You think about Paul's equations that he's wrestling with and thinking through. I told you we were talking about these false equations that we create. And I think for Paul, you have this idea of Jesus plus zeal equals an arrogance. He's passionate about these things, but he kind of inflates his head and his ego and all of this. Right? Jesus plus strict rule following equals a legalism. And he holds to that. Jesus plus reputation equals a selfish spirituality. When it's all about doing it for your reputation and for the affirmation of other people, it's really a selfish spirituality. It's a look at me kind of 
following God. And also a, a Jesus plus best effort equals temporary change. He's just going to grit it out and grunt it out and Jesus plus, I'm going to do my best, but it doesn't lead to lasting change. It leads to a temporary change. And you look at those different equations. I don't love that math, but I can relate to it. I don't like that, but I can relate to it. And I can relate to Paul's story. And I think that's the beauty of Paul's stories. We can all relate to some facet of it. Some of us are really good at trying to be good trying to do the right thing, trying to hold to the law, trying to hold to being righteous and holy and set apart and being good Christian boys and girls. And then some of us are really good at being bad, making messes, living for ourselves, leaving a wake of pain behind us. Both cases, though, desperately need Jesus. Both cases are equal because both cases need the gospel to infiltrate their lives. Tim Keller says it like this, no one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Boom, Tim Keller bomb right there. He's just dropping that truth. I'm gonna read it again. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of the gospel, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. That's what Paul's story is showing us. And Paul refers to this as his previous or former way of life. This is how I used to be. But there's a change that transpired. And as he's writing in Galatians, he's alluding to this moment of change in his own story. And that is further told, not just in Galatians chapter 1, but even more expansive in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, we see a moment that changes Saul's life. He goes from Saul to Paul in, in this type of moment. In Acts chapter 9, Verse three, let's just, we're gonna read this so that we can see where he's coming from. Get a little bio on Paul. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's what Jesus sounds like. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, for they heard the sound but did not see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he, couldn't see, he could see nothing. And so they led him to the land of Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, meanwhile, the story goes on, in Damascus you have this man named Ananias. God wakes him up and says, hey, you're going to lay hands on this guy. You're going to pray for him. And Ananias knows Saul's reputation. Mm -mm, no, that's the guy that persecutes us. He kills us. He, he's going to throw me in prison. God, no, not going to happen. And this is what God says in verse 15. It says, the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and to the kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so Ananias agrees. He obeys, he finds Saul, he lays hands on him, he prays for him. And then in verse 18, look at this, this is what happens. It says, immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. See, this is the moment that Paul is pointing us to in Galatians chapter one. And we read about how the gospel changed his life, how Jesus changed his life. And he talks about it more in Galatians 1 verse 15. He says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then 
Paul's story gets out to people and they begin to hear about this change that has transpired. And this is what Paul says in verse 23. They only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of him. You see, Paul is bringing this new equation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals a story of change. Jesus plus nothing equals a story of change. See, we're, we're saying constantly throughout this series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And part of that everything is that we experience life change. Not just in eternity, but here today we can experience change. And think about the change that Paul experiences. It's not just a name change from Saul to Paul. I wish it was that easy, right? I went from John to Sean. It's not like that. It's he went from Saul to Paul, yes, but look at the change that happens. It's a mindset change. God changes his mind about things. He views Jesus differently. He goes from Jesus the abomination to Jesus the Savior. That's a mindset change that has taken place. It's a mission change. He had a mission to destroy the church of Jesus, and now he goes to expanding the church of Jesus. And you saw that in verse 16. We just read it, right? That he might go and preach to the Gentiles. In his story on the road to Damascus, Ananias is told, this is the guy that's going to go share the gospel with the Gentiles. He's going to go talk to rulers and kings and leaders and the people of Israel. God's got a plan for him, and God redirects. He changes Paul's mission from destroying the church to building up the church and expanding the church. His motivation changes. In verse 10, way back at the beginning of this section that we talked about, God changes his motivation. It's not about pleasing people and pleasing man. It's about pleasing God. And so much of Paul's life, I believe, up until that point was about pleasing himself and getting the affirmation of other people to say, look at Paul, he's really spiritual. Look at Paul, he's a great leader. Look at Paul, he's the one that's so holy and set apart and so righteous. But he doesn't do it for that reason anymore. His motivation has changed. You see, it's because of Jesus, Paul experiences true change. A mindset change, a mission change, and a motivation change. And think about, look at this story in Acts 9 or what Paul is writing in Galatians 1. What did Paul do to bring about that change? Nothing. He did nothing. He simply responds to the voice of Jesus. He simply goes where God tells him to go. He responds to the gospel. But Jesus did everything else. In verse 15, Paul points to that. He says, God's the one that set me apart. God's the one that called me. God's the one that revealed this son to me. It's all God's control. It's all God's work. It's all him and his message and what he has done. And God's sovereignty in that situation with Paul to know that Paul was going to go through a rebellious season. Paul was going to go through a passionate, zealous season. Paul was going to go through this legalistic season. He was going to go through these times. But the good news of Jesus can still break through. No one is hopeless. No one is helpless. No one is beyond the work of the gospel, the life change of the gospel message. And what's crazy is looking at Paul's story, and I think God actually uses that fractured, broken past of his, the part that we might look at our past sometimes and despise it. God actually, I think, uses that to advance his message even more, to use it to build even further passion in Paul's ministry. Think about it. Paul came from this background of legalism and strict adherence to all these rules and trying to do it by the book perfectly. And what's his message shift into? It's not about earning God's love. It's not about that. He goes and reaches un-Jewish people, Gentile people, and he goes to bring a message of the gospel that is not about adding 
and increasing the features and adding to it and all this legalism. It's not about that with him because he's already experienced that in the past and he would look back at his past and say, it's not worth it. That leads to nothing. Here's what I want to present. And it's this story of change. And a story of change is a story worth sharing. And you see that in his writings. In verse 24, in the passage we were just reading, he talks about how people began to hear about his story of change. And what happened? People began to praise God. People began to worship God. People began to honor God because of it. Because hearing people's stories of change inspires us. It, it challenges us and, and, and inspires us that, man, the gospel is real. The message of Jesus is alive today. Jesus is alive today. When I hear a story of what God is doing in people's lives, it reminds me that we worship a God that is alive, that he is active. The other thing it does, when people hear Paul's story, when they hear our stories, they see that the gospel is simple. It doesn't have to be convoluted and complicated. It's just simple. We do nothing to earn the love, the forgiveness, the acceptance, and the rescue of Jesus. There's simplicity to that. Paul's story points to that simplicity. Paul didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to earn it. And so we have these stories that need to be told. And that's why we're trying with our church. You've probably picked up on it. There was one today. We got to hear from Amber. But there's stories that we're trying to find and, and, and share those stories. And we're hearing comments from people that hearing these stories is really impactful. It's inspiring. People are relating to this and saying, that's me too. I hear myself in their story. And you know what it does? Is it, it, it inspires their faith. It builds them up. It reminds them that God is alive even today in what they're doing. Unfortunately, we hide our stories, don't we? We conceal them. We hold back for whatever reasons. We've got fears, insecurities, comparison issues. We diminish our story, disqualify it. But our story is meant to be shared with other people. As we hide our stories, I was thinking about what that's like. It, it's, it's, I know this seems silly, but it's kind of like as a parent. Maybe you can relate to this. As a parent, sometimes you go grocery shopping and you buy some stuff that only you as the parent wants to eat. You don't want to share it with your kids. You ever been there, right? I love double stuff Oreos, and, and I could clean out a whole pack in one sitting if I wanted to. And I don't really love the idea that three little munchkins with tiny little fingers are going to eat a bunch of those, right? And so what I'll do is I'll take them and I will hide them up in the cupboards where they can't see them. I'll hide them behind the protein powder or hide them behind the coffee. They don't look there. And then all of a sudden when they've gone to bed, boom, out come the Oreos and I will enjoy those. But as a parent, when we buy things, also be about sharing with our kids. And there's actually more joy, not in me hoarding it to myself and keeping it to myself, but there's a joy in being able to share that with kids. When we have a movie night and they're all sitting down with their popcorn and their soda and they get to eat some candy or eat some double stuffed Oreos and enjoy that together, the joy that they exude over three Oreos is way more joy than I experience over eating the whole pack by myself. I think we do that with our stories. We keep it safe to ourselves. We conceal it to ourselves. We keep it hidden within the cupboards only for ourselves to know the good things that God has been doing. And in fact, those stories need to come out. They need to be told. They need to be shared. So what's your story? How has the gospel changed you? What is your story of how you're different because of Jesus? Your story matters. And you have experienced this simple equation. Jesus plus nothing equals a story of change. 
And we need to share that. A very couple, couple of very practical uh, takeaways for us in, in sharing our story. One, I would encourage you, write it down. Take some time, even this week, and I challenge you to do it this week. Write your story down. How's your, how's your life different because of Jesus? What has he done? How's he changed you? What was your previous way, but now what's your new way, right? Take time to write it down. Even if you're not a writer and an author and it feels like it's too touchy-feely for you, you'll be amazed as you begin to put words to your story. You begin to see the difference that God has made in your life. Write it down. Secondly, tell someone. Have you told your spouse your story? Sometimes we get so busy with life. Have we, have we slowed down to tell our, our, our spouse, the most important person in our life, have we told them our story of how we're different because of Jesus? Have we told our kids? Do your kids know that? Why you love Jesus and, and the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Tell a friend, tell your roommate, tell somebody right? Because you're not preaching at them. You're just telling them your story. And thirdly, and this is where I know I'm going to lose some of you, email it to us. Would you email us your story? One of our ministry staff, Ellie Haddock, is in charge of coordinating all the video stories that we've been doing over the last few weeks, and we want to continue to do this. And so we need your help. And would you email those to Ellie? As you're writing them out this week and maybe sharing it with one or two people, man, I would take this step of boldness and email that. And we can begin to hear and read and see what God has been doing in your life and hear your story because a story of change is a story to be shared. And, and man, God willing, with your permission and the timing goes right, we can record that story and share it with your church so they can see how God has actively been a part of your life. And you never know how your story is going to inspire somebody else's story. And I think that the, the reality is, is that there's some of us today and you're sitting here wondering, Sean, what if my story's still yet to be written? What if I haven't experienced that yet? And my prayer for you is not to feel ostracized in this moment, not to feel set apart. This is not a message just for uh, church-going good people. This is for you right now as you're feeling like, man, I don't know if I could point to a difference. And as I was preparing for, for today, I, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm praying you have a genuine encounter like Paul. Maybe you don't go blind while you're driving down Highway 20 for three days. <laughs> Doesn't have to be that extreme. But I'm praying you have a real encounter with Jesus. A moment where there's clarity. Where even metaphorically scales fall off your eyes and you begin to see the truth of who Jesus is in a real way. And much like Paul's story, what did we have to do? We don't do anything. That's the beauty of today's message. We don't conjure up or manufacture that moment, right? We just respond to the message, the simple message that Jesus loves you. He forgives you. He rescues you. He accepts you. Now we just choose to respond. Do we believe that message? Do I accept that message? How do I respond to that message? I want to pray for us. Jesus, I want to pray right now with those who, who just want to respond to your message of love, your message of hope, to the good news of who you are. And church, I want to just pray with you right now if you're feeling like, Sean, my story's yet to be written, but right now I want to, I want to acknowledge, I want to accept, I want to, I want to make a decision right now to follow Jesus. I believe in that truth, that God loves you, 
and, and accepts you and forgives you. And, and if that's you today, man, we just wanna, we wanna stand with you. We wanna pray for you. There's a little button. If you're watching live, you can click that button, right? And we can just pray with you and connect with you this week. But God, I pray for those right now just making that decision for the first time or the first time in a long time. Jesus, I pray that you would be the king of our life, that you would forgive us of our past ways, our previous lives and our, our former ways of doing it. Pray that you would forgive us, you would restore us, you would rescue us, you would transform us. Be the king of our lives. And God, I pray right now that you would also stir a boldness within your church to share their stories, to write them down, tell somebody, get it recorded, whatever it is, God, but those stories need to be told. Be with your church. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, check out thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.